Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland. And I'm the other host, Asia Bonilla. We're back again this week finishing The Amber Spyglass, which means that we finished His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman, the fourth series we've covered so far on the podcast. And I just want to mention that I'm out of town, so we're not recording together. So if my audio sounds a little wonky, please forgive us. We're recording remotely. But for anyone who's new to our podcast, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network. And we're best friends, and so we read and reread YA Lit from our adolescence, and we share the books with each other. So we're alternating between series that one of us has read and the other hasn't, and we're currently wrapping up my turn to reread. But this is our last week of that, because the next series we're going to read is an exception that we've actually both read before. Yes, so Charles has read his Dark Materials before, and this was my first time. And this format is nice because you get to hear from one person who's reading for the first time and one person who is rereading. But next we'll be covering the Hunger Games trilogy, which both of us have read before. And as a rule, though, we have that the newbie, which is me for this last week, gets to give a quick summary of the reading in case you couldn't read along with us. Though, once again, I'm not sure if I'll be able to make it quick because we have a lot that happens in this reading. So, we start with Will and Lyra enter the world of the dead and release the ghosts so that they can find complete release rather than being trapped in the world of the dead forever. And there is a huge battle while the kids try to find their demons. And Asriel and Coulter together bring down Metatron and the kids accidentally kill the authority by exposing him to air. The kids make it to Mary's world where she tells them about romantic love and they realize they love each other. They kiss and that causes dust to start flowing in the correct direction again. Then they learn that they must live in their own worlds and that using the knife makes specters. So the angels are going to seal all of the windows and they must now live full lives in their own worlds. And there's still a lot more to unpack, but we'll just start from there. But my impression of the conclusion to this trilogy was just, and something we're going to learn is, I don't like when stories don't end with happy endings. And so I was pretty disappointed in the ending. I saw it coming. I feel like it was a little bit predictable, but I still was very, very disappointed in the ending. And that's just a personal preference. I don't like um, unhappy endings. That's just me. Yeah. We can definitely talk about the ending a little more when we get to it. For me, my impression was that I can't wait for this to be realized in the HBO TV show that's currently airing. The show has been so good and so true to form so far. So I'm really excited to see how this season, this book gets interpreted. Also because we get crazy creatures in this one and there's just a lot of action. So I'm, I'm interested to see how it gets wrapped up when we finally get, when it does come out. But just diving right in, so we find out that Mary discovers that dust has not been flowing in the correct direction to quote-unquote fertilize the seed pods. So we should start with that because that's like the first chapter we read and then we moved away from Mary for a while. But the real place to start is that Lyra has to leave Pan to enter the world of the dead. Like she leaves him on like this extra island 
And we find out that Will and the Galavespians also have to leave something as well, but because their souls aren't like a physical being, they obviously just can't see it and feel it the same way. Yes, and the fact that they can leave their demons behind is never really explained. Like, I thought that, you know, by separating yourself from your demon, you would eventually die, even though, like, some people, like, survive for a little bit, but it's pretty much implied that, like, by getting separated from your demon, you're going to die, but that doesn't happen, and I guess maybe that just doesn't apply in the world of the dead, but that did leave me with a lot of questions, especially, I have a lot of questions about them finding their demons, like, later on, which we can talk about when we get to that part, but I just have a lot of questions about them leaving their demons behind and then having to, like, reconnect with them. Yeah, it's a bit of a plot hole to be like now all of a sudden they can leave their demons because we've been kind of led to believe that like the pain is so excruciating like you literally cannot be without your demon and except for witches so yeah is we're just kind of led to believe that like i think that we're just kind of assuming that world of the dead different rules but and it kind of gets explained a little bit with the witches later but like not really so Let's save that for a little bit because we will get back to like demon reconnecting in a second. But interestingly, Pullman actually says that leaving Pan is the betrayal that was predicted in book one. So if you remember like really early on in book one, the master of Jordan College and the librarian have a conversation and he's like, the master is like, Lyra will have to betray someone, but she won't be able to know what it is. And it's going to be awful. And the narrator, so Pullman says that like, leaving Pan was the betrayal, but, like, you're kind of led to believe previously that, and I've always thought of the betrayal as bringing Roger to his death. Like, she doesn't know she's betraying him, and it's terrible. So, like, I didn't even realize... I don't think... I think for that, if anything, like, Lyra didn't knowingly do that to Roger's, whereas, like, Lyra left Pan behind. Like, that is real betrayal, whereas, like, Roger's was an accident, so I don't think it's, it's not the same. So I can understand why that would be identified as her betrayal from this But the master prophecy. in the prophecy, he said that she can't know what she's doing, that she won't know that she's doing it. I thought that they were making it seem like she can't, like she can't know the prophecy. Like she can't know what's going to happen. She can't know that she will eventually make a betrayal. It'll just happen kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like that was just what I got. I mean. Yeah. Well, that definitely applies to the next one, which I want to mention. Like we, you know, staying with prophecy in the world of the dead. So Will and Lyra, they're planning to release all the ghosts as well to let them like dissolve and sort of become atoms rather than being trapped physically in the world of the dead. And Lyra says to Roger that also back in book one, she heard Dr. Lansalius mentioning the witch prophecy, saying that she had to do something important in another world. And she's like, maybe this is it. Like, I've never told anyone, but I actually knew this the whole time, which was like, wow, Lyra, you kept that secret real well. And this definitely fits the bill, like her releasing the ghosts. And I always kind of assumed that this was her releasing the ghosts was the thing she has to do in the other world. But to be perfectly honest, like, what she's going to do when she's tempted and when she, like, loses her innocence and dust starts to flow again, that also happens in a different world and also totally works. So, basically, all these prophecies about Lyra, they are not specific enough and they have multiple options that work for each one. I guess I would guess that, like, probably her 
bringing the dust back is I feel like what was prophesized because how it seems is them opening up the world to the land of the dead was like extra. Like they kind of did that out of right? the out it's of the goodness necessary. of their heart, basically. Like Lyra and Will did that, but it wasn't necessary for like the world to be better. It was just that they did that. Like it was an additional thing. So I could see that. Yeah. I would agree. But then you also forgot to mention though the harpies in the land of the dead, which I wrote down that we had a return of Mrs. Dodds from Percy Jackson with the terrible harpies like attacking Lyra and they guard the world of the dead. Yeah, they're pretty awful, but they don't stay terrible because they strike a steel with the Galavespians. Basically, the harpies will lead the ghosts to the window in the world in exchange for stories and then that way the ghosts get to be free. They get to drift apart rather than just like the eternity of existing in the world of the dead. So they definitely are evil to begin with, but they do get better. Which I just have to mention the turning point comes <laughs> because all the their people, they're like going through this tunnel, whatever, to like try to find a hole to cut into. So Will can cut a hole so that they can go out into like the world. And there's a giant hole that they're like trying not to fall into and of course Lyra falls and she's gonna fall into the hole but the harpy saves her I don't know I just thought that part was really funny because I was like Lyra come on like because I was like oh are they gonna kill the main character I was like she's gotta be saved because we're almost to the end and she hasn't saved the world yet (laughs) also like how bad would that be if you know, the church is like trying all these ways to kill this girl and then she just falls into the abyss by accident. (laughs) Like that would be anticlimactic. Yes, but let's go ahead and jump to Mrs. Coulter, who is in Geneva, where the church is making a special bomb that resonates with the unique DNA shape of Lyra's hair so that they're going to be able to kill Lyra wherever she is in whatever world she's in, which... This personally just felt like completely impossible. Like (laughs) Pullman has pulled enough in this book series to try to get us to believe, but I'm sorry, but that is just not believable at all. Like it was just a bit of a stretch. If you ask me, like, I don't know how you felt about that. Oh yeah. I, I agree. I, we've been pointing out a fair number of plot holes throughout the podcast that I've, you know, some of them I've noticed, some of them I have in in previous reads, but we're definitely expected to take a lot for granted. And the science of the bomb just seems a little iffy to me, mostly because, like, if it's, like, by the shape of the cut, then, like, just cutting off any hair would solve the problem. But if it's by her DNA, her DNA hasn't changed by removing the hair. And, like, the fact that, like, Will is supposed to, like, cut off like, along her scalp, in the dark. Like, it it just all is, like, a little convenient, if you ask me. Oh, for sure. So, and then, like, I feel like it's more, like, the bomb also, like, because it's only in one chapter, like, it's mentioned really quickly, and then it's, like, resolved quickly because they're able to save it. So it's one of those moments where kind of, like, if you remember in Twilight when we were reading about the Jay Jenks, (laughs) like, where it was, like, that writing... Like, I get it, but it doesn't really feel necessary. So, like... I think the only reason he put this in here was to serve that it was to show, like, Mrs. Coulter wanting to protect Lyra. Like, that turn that turn mm-hmm. and, like, change in her, like, not wanting Lyra to die. That's literally 
the only purpose that section served, which we all know I hate Mrs. Coulter, so I didn't need that from her because the only, like, we'll talk about later, the only redemption she could get was being dead. So, yeah, yeah, that's why I assumed he would have put that in there. But, yeah, it was kind of like, it just does, it's just not plausible. Like, yeah, it's just not necessary. So, like, they're like, it's so neat. Coulter is going to be used to power the bomb, but it's her fault for developing the cybering technology. Like, if anything, I feel like it's used as, like, a damnation of the church again because they've already sent Father Gomez to kill Lyra. They're already like, we're okay with murder. But they're like, yeah, we need a bomb. We need a backup plan just in case. Like, it just further, if anything, like, proves how comfortable the magisterium is with murder. I do like that we get to see Mrs. Coulter and Lord Roke working together because they work really well as a team together. Like, they have a great dynamic, but then he dies, which kind of just leads into Tialis and Salmachia dying as well. But it's a... Yeah, I just don't love the bomb. Like, it's one of those things that whenever I read it, kind of like the the Russian priest with the vodka that I just kind of, like, skip over because I'm like, there's no payoff. There's no purpose to it. So it just feels like we could have just cut those chapters. Yeah. And then I just want to back up to the bomb because, like I said, we don't don't believe that was possible. But I do have to hand it to Father McPhail as being truly committed, like, to his evil because... I thought he was going to try to put one of the other men to be cut from their demon when, like, they realized that, like, Mrs. Coulter, like, was fighting back and not cooperating. But no, he was ready to sacrifice himself. He was ready to die to kill Lyra. Like, wow, he was just really dedicated to his cause. So I was just, like, I had to hand it to him that, you know, he was a truly evil person and willing to die for his cause, I guess, (laughs) even though, you know... (laughs) doesn't make any sense but also with the bomb thing in addition to it just not being believable at all is how was john perry in the world of the dead just able to know that this was going to happen i thought about that when i read it because john like they're walking and then all of a sudden he's like will listen to me there's no time of talking you need to cut off the like hair from lyra's scalp immediately like, where did that come from? Just making yourself dead, like, make you all-knowing now? Like, that, and again, no explanation. No explanation. It's, it's, a, it's a bonkers scene, to be perfectly frank, because it's, it's not explained, and there's no payoff. So it, there's, there's just no point to it being there. Yeah, I I can definitely do without the bomb. But you're right, McPhail is, like, crazy. Like, I imagine him, like, with the biggest freaking eyes ever. Like, he's like, this is the only way I can bring glory to God is killing a 12-year-old girl. Like, crazy. But speaking of John Perry, actually, so in this moment, right after they prevent Lyra from getting blown to smithereens, he's like, you have to build the world of heaven in the world you're from. You can't live in another world. And that's just the end of the conversation. Like, they just drop that in, which obviously I knew what the ending was going to be, so I'm like... But as I was reading it, I was like, oh, he tells them right here and now. Like, it's kind of like he almost spoiled the ending. Like, Asia, what did you think of that when you read it? So, I don't think I, like, caught this line or, like, understood it in that way. I understood because how he talks about how, like, you can't live in a world that's not your own forever without, like, how what happened to him is he got sick and eventually died from it. I mean, 
that terrible witch killed him, but he was going to die anyway. So at that point in the story, you know, I was already figuring, I mean, I was already questioning, okay, like Will and Lyra, like obviously they're going to like fall in love, whatever, or they're going to stay friends. They obviously can't live in the same world together forever because otherwise they're going to die. But, you know, again, assuming that the windows to the world would still be able to be open, I figured they'd still be able to visit each other. Um, So I don't think it spoiled the ending for me because I just wasn't expecting this idea of we have to close all the windows so, like, no more access to other worlds. Because even if he's saying that you have to build the heaven in your world like why would that mean that you can't travel to other worlds as long as you live you know mainly or full-time I guess like on in one world you know definitely yeah like it's not everything is not spoiled but I was like oh my goodness like the crux of what's gonna be it definitely would the ending at yeah it's a hint right there but yeah there's no way for you to know that they have to close the windows at that point because they don't know yet that dust is leaking yeah. So then, you know, Will cuts open a window to a world so that the ghosts can just walk out and they get to finally disappear and kind of go into the earth instead of being stuck in this sort of purgatory as a ghost. And so they basically have ended death, just like Azrael said they would, but they're obviously separated from their demons at this point, so they inconveniently have to end up running through a battle looking for their demons so that they can escape the church, which, again, th- there was just so much going on. Like, I don't so know. So just to clarify, the reason they have to find their demons is because even though they're now, like, able to be distanced from their demons, they still have to... Their demons are still vulnerable. Like, if the church got they're their still hands on the demons... To them. Like, if they had killed the demons, like, that would still hurt the kids, if not kill them. And, like, they're still part of them. It's just they don't longer have the physical bond. Like, they no longer have that, like, physical, like, you can only be 10 feet away from each other. Like, it's not that anymore. But they, um, but they, there's, it's still their soul. It's just like a witch's demon. Like, if you killed the witch's demon, that would not be good for the witch. So, basically... Azrael's team, like, they're like, we gotta, number one priority is protect the demons so that Will and Lyra can get to their demons and escape from the church. Whereas the church just has to, like, get their hands on the demons and then Will and Lyra, like, are powerless because their souls are vulnerable. Yes, so anyway, so they're looking for their demons and, again, another just, like, convenient plot line that their demons just so happen to be in Azrael's in the world where this war is taking place where Azrael set up his fortress like how did they get from the land of the dead to there never explained so that's just convenient I guess and then it gets even further later convenient when they're like we traveled through a bunch of different worlds and I'm like when yeah when when how (laughs) how did you try I guess just through the open windows like I yeah how did you find them what have you been doing there's a lot of unexplained things especially as we get near like the end and there's just so much going on but also speaking with the church and i'm trying to find them i wrote down about so father gomez is the one who is supposed to be tracking down mary malone and is supposed to kill her so that she cannot tempt lyra at all and also then he can find lyra and kill her as well so like he has his job to do but the small like little descriptions we're getting of him like i just can't believe like he could be like a priest in the church like he is described as so cold-hearted like 
So the giant, <laughs> the giant pelican bird things. The twilapi. He, they, he comes across them, of course, and, you know, I was like, oh, maybe they're going to attack them. But, you know, he has a big shotgun or whatever. So as soon as one of them runs towards them, he kills them to, like, show them who's in charge so that they'll be obedient to him. And it's, like, nothing for him. Like, when they start running at him, like, in their stampede, no, like, no, he shows no fear. Like, he's just ready to, like, mercilessly kill this bird and, like, Oh, it's just the whole like this idea of like piety with the it's just totally bogus. Like, I mean, it's I guess that's criticism. the point. It's <laughs> that's what they're trying to show is the idea of like, oh, they're saying they're righteous and all this. But like, look at how they're acting. So it's just it's definitely hard to read. I mean, literally, Father Gomez's character is like he's supposed to be like so devout that he's willing to commit murder for God, which when you say it like that, you're like, well, it doesn't seem particularly Christian to me. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, that's literally one of the largest themes of the series is, like, the corruption within cannot, organized religion. I still can't believe you read this when you were 12 years old. There's no way I could have gone through a book like this. I would have been like, this is way too violent. There's evil priests? Like, uh, no. There's <laughs> no way. I probably read the final one the first time when I was, like, four. Teen, but still, like, still pretty young to be reading Which that's about. A, that's a little better, but I I can understand maybe like why you, if you had if you had read this before, remember how earlier Charles said that he he would just keep reading the Golden Compass over and over because the Golden Compass is just like simple, like that is the children's book. Like you can just you're not dealing with ethical questions, except like the the except the children to torture. But again, we just looked over that. <laughs> Like, this book is so many more, like, severe themes and, like, ideas of consciousness. Yeah. So, like you said, a lot going on. Back in the battle world, we have basically a lot of drama. (laughs) This is a good section. So, Coulter and Asriel, they kind of, like, are on the same brainwave, and they decide together, without discussing, that they're going to take down Metatron. And this is, like, a little bit of a funny section to read as an adult, because it's ridiculous. So... And it's an indictment of men, which I'm, you know, obviously here for. Because Metatron gets so easily seduced. So he's a multi-thousand-year-old angel. And Mrs. Coulter, like, she's like, goes to Metatron. And she's like, take me to Metatron. And then she's like, I'm single. And he's, like, salivating. Like, he's so easily seduced by this woman. And he's like, I can only see wickedness and deceit within you. And he still believes her. He still is, like, convinced that she wants him. Like... Men are so dumb and they're so easily influenced. Yeah, I, that part was just, he was just pitiful. Like, pitiful. The, his whole, like his whole, his very tiny storyline that we got was just pitiful. Like, he's supposed to be this super fearsome, terrifying angel thing. And then the only chapter we meet him and read about him, he's an idiot. And it's just a proof that, like, even angel men can be like dumb and easily seduced like I don't know it was that was I mean I guess good for Mrs. Coulter because she did something right I guess but I still was like yeah just pitiful shaking my head at these men like they're so they they're so pathetic so Azriel and Coulter together they ambush Metatron and they carry him into the abyss also the description of Azriel getting beaten by Metatron with the rock 
is super graphic. It's like his brains are falling out. Again, like, gra- like how did you read this as a child? Like I'm saying like that alone would have been too cuz like we're going to read The Hunger Games next. Like The Hunger Games is not that graphic. I feel like in its descriptions. Um I mean, I can't remember, but I think that like when we get to Joanna in book 2, she's the one who's really good at throwing axes. I'm pretty sure it's going to get pretty graphic. And also with the careers, the careers that are, like, so used to killing. Maybe it's just not the same. I don't know. I just know when I read, also, like, I don't know. That part, I was like, I'm going to throw up just reading the words. It was, I did not remember Asriel, like, I was reading it. I was like, oh, my goodness. It's like he was within an inch of his life, and he's, like, losing consciousness, and, like, Coulter almost didn't jump, but then she did, and they're like, to save Lyra. It's it's very, very graphic. Yeah. So, but I do think it is fitting that they die for Lyra, because they've been... So, we don't believe that, I, or at least I personally, I don't want to speak for you, I don't think that Asriel or Coulter really deserve, like, a good life or a redemption no. arc. No, they don't. So I think it's good that they actually died. And I think yes. it's fitting that they died yes. for applause. Lyra. <laughs> With best, the part intention- of the whole, best part of the whole series. They're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the, the happy, fact that the they died. The only happy ending I got. <laughs> they died. <laughs> they died together. Um, well, also, it's good that they, because they... It's good that they die with the intent of protecting Lyra because they have been so, they've been the worst parents ever. Like, they've been so terrible. So, yeah, how do you feel about their death? I mean, we know, but how do you feel? Oh, I, I loved it. I, it was amazing. <laughs> like I said, this was, because since the ending was so disappointing, this, is, this was the highlight of the ending for me. Like, ooh. No, I, I just, for me, like, especially, like, more with Mrs. Coulter because I feel like we got to, hear from her more whereas Azrael was just kind of like bad like didn't really care about Lyra was more what it's about he only cared about Lyra when it was for his cause whereas Mrs. Coulter kind of like wanted Lyra like to like her it seemed like she wanted a little trophy daughter like exactly she a little toy doll and so it was kind of like it was we got to see more I feel like of Mrs. Coulter's like wrongdoings like more up in front and so oh yeah for me for sure I'm glad they died because especially if Pullman wanted to redeem their characters to me the only way that they would have been redeeming it all was for them to die because there was and to die for Lyra because especially because they killed so many people like Mrs. Coulter kills people constantly yeah like (laughs) there's no way that they were coming back from that so and also there's no way that Lyra will again I would not have wanted Lyra to be like oh I forgive you like no no that would have been like if 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 Sophie had like fully forgiven Josh. Josh. I mean, like she kind of did. But I mean, I'm saying, kind of not really. But this would have been even worse than that because her parents were literally like murderers. So horrible. Like, so yeah, that's why. Like, I was totally, like, said highlight. <laughs> the book was their death. But something I just wanted to talk about really quick about Mrs. Coulter was something I don't know if you, you noticed this when you were reading. But since we got a lot more with her, like we talked about a little bit earlier with like Lord Roke and stuff, did you notice that Mrs. Coulter and her monkey, like they don't seem to have that physical barrier. Like that's never described between them. And I don't know if it's just because he doesn't mention it when he's describing them, but it seems like the monkey just has free reign. Like he goes and does things like 
specifically, I probably should have brought this up a little bit earlier when we were talking about the fight with Lord Roke, but, like, when she's, like, the monkey's, like, attacking Father McPhail and stuff, and, like, she she's, like, go get him, like, they just, they never seem to have that, like, oh, you're too far away. Well, it's mentioned in book one. Lyra's, like, that demon can go way further than any other demon. I think it's, like, when the demon is, like, even, like, in the apartment, like, it'll go spy for her and, like, go look at Lyra's bag. Like, they find out about the lithiometer because the demon is, like, sneaking around. Like, so we don't get a resolution on it. It could be that she's a witch or she's done witch stuff or, like, done terrible magic. I mean, we, again, she, we believe in her as being evil. Maybe she is. Well, like, no, she's, because like, she's she... Probably, she's not a witch witch. Like, she can't fly like a witch. But she's probably done, like, we know that she's traveled a lot and we know she's done a lot of research and she's, like not afraid to like use like dark magic or dark magic-y things. But like it is mentioned in the first book, actually. Like if you remember, like Lyra's like, she and Pan are talking. They're like, I feel like that demon can go real far away from her. So. In the Southern accent. <laughs> I feel like that demon can go real far away from Mrs. Coulter. I can say I, that because I'm from Virginia, you guys. I need a Southern version of life. Lyra is British. <laughs> my Lyra, it's my more Lyra like, is Southern. A Southern Belle. <laughs> <laughs> Lyra is so far from a Southern Belle. I mean, not really. She's like, a, she's like, she's a she's British like, ain't. street rat. She's like, I ain't gonna do it. I ain't gonna. <laughs> I ain't gonna leave you, Will. I ain't gonna ever leave you. Yeah, I'm Lyra's gonna love probably you like forever. I'm probably gonna really dislike her, like how she speaks. I'm probably really not gonna like that. It's gonna get old really quick. Mm, uh, we'll see, but we'll see how you feel. But yeah, it's definitely like that's another thing that like maybe we need a story, a short story on Mrs. Coulter. Like also, it bothers me that we don't know her demon's name. It's all just like it's all yeah, adding to the mystery of how evil she is because she's. She's trash, so she's well, where she's she belongs now. in the ground <laughs> or in the in the hole. Well, now she's dissolved into all particles. So, <laughs> moving right along, moving right along, back to Lyra and Will. Um, another again random, rather passing moment. Lyra and Will come across the authority. So this is supposedly God, and God is in like this crystal chariot and he's all old and shriveled up and like seems cuckoo for cocoa puffs like <laughs> he's just gone. and lyra and will think that they're saving him because it looks like he's like locked up in this cage and so will like cuts it open and he comes out and then he just dissolves and they say <laughs> he like has this this look of like relief on his face as he just melts away so they just killed God. I, I read it and I was like, because how they like reveal that it's God, they're like, it's the authority. And like Metatron sent him with a very small, like little like group of soldiers to like protect him because he felt that would be less noticeable. So that's why they were able to like defeat them really quickly, Lyra and Will. And so they think that they're, he's like a prisoner and they just kill him, which I guess like, were they supposed to do that? Well, like, was like, that a part of the prophecy? No. I mean, it's maybe, maybe, again, in another world, something big that they did is accidentally killing the authority. It's like, 
crazy because like the whole plot of the second book was everyone being like, Will, you got to get the knife to Lord Azrael because the knife's the only thing that can kill God. And then God goes out and then wind kills God. <laughs> um, it's a it's one of those moments that it's such a quick moment in the book. And you're like, wait, did that just happen? Like, I feel like that's a bigger plot point. Again, it again, it's like, what was the purpose of that plot like then? You know what I mean? Because it just doesn't feel like it really got the payoffs. Especially, yeah. I totally feel you. It's like... If anything, it just seems more like a gag. Like, because I feel like in the show, like if you're watching the show, like, that would be funny. Like, it would be a... Oh, my goodness. Like, they just killed God. Like, they... Like, you know what I mean? Like, between the reader and, like, the, they don't know. But, like, what payoff did it have for the plot? I mean, the fact that, like, they've slowed down the forces of evil. But, like... The thing is, like, Metatron and the Authority are both, like, they're, like, the main antagonists, quote-unquote, for this book. But they're both, like, pathetically dealt with. Like, we don't get them built, like, they haven't been built up as, like, villains. Or, like, like Metatron is supposed to, like, be, like, controlling the Authority. But, like, Metatron gets taken down in one chapter. And the Authority, like, we know he's supposed to be old, but, like... He's just like, I want people to be nice to me. And they're nice to him. And then he floats away. Like, it it definitely feels like for the scale of, like, what it means in the context of the book, it feels a little anticlimactic. But also, like, accidental. Like, it's just a very strange moment to read. Yeah. Like, they kill God mostly by accident. Yeah. I was going to say, if anything, like... Because how, like, Azrael was like, oh, I want to kill the authority and stuff. And I think what the real, like, antagonists, like, the antagonists are the church as opposed to, like, God and the angels. Because really, you're fighting the church that has, like, essentially the wrong interpretation. That has corrupted the view of what. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, ultimately, what Lyra needed to do to, like, save the world and save dust was to be, to just enact, to to fulfill the prophecy of being tempted, you know, because that ultimately is what, like, fixes everything else. Like you said, she accidentally kills God, and they just happen to release the dead. Like, those are all extras, but ultimately, her only task was to basically just hit puberty and realize that she has hormones and... (laughs) has feelings for people besides just friendship. Like, that's ultimately, like, what it was. So, if anything, maybe that's why those antagonists that were kind of built up had such small roles actually play out in the story. Totally. I buy that. But, so, yeah, after they kill God, they just scoop up their demons and convincingly end up in the world with Mary and the Mulefa. Which, again, how convenient that they just cut into that yeah, world. Yeah, like, that just happens to be the window right there. <laughs> okay, also, I gotta, I gotta interrupt, because at this point, Mary says that the Mulefa don't have spines. Which, I was like, um, wait, <laughs> how did I go many years with, like, not knowing they didn't have spines. Okay. I like, also wrote this what? down because I was like, okay, now I have definitely have no idea what they look like. Can you give what kind of animals don't have spines? Like a snake? Like snakes have spines. So then, what doesn't have a spine? Like a a fish? No, fish have spines too, right? Fish have spines too. A slug. Slugs don't have snails. Spines. Snails and slugs. They're in. So then, how? And then, how are you able to ride them? I 
do do bugs have spines? No. It's a beetle. Have- I called it. I told you it's a beetle. <laughs> it's not a beetle. <laughs> a motorcycle <laughs> beetle. It's they don't a have, deer do they have fur? with wheels and a trunk. Yes. It's, it's it's a deer with wheels and a trunk. How does it? But deer, apparently no spine. How does a deer move? Like, is it just if it doesn't have a spine, is it like squishy? No, because they describe <laughs> it as being hard. Maybe they're like a turtle. <laughs> like it's like I a feel like shell. it's got like a like a. I feel like it's got a frame. Like I feel like there's bones because it's in a diamond like a shape. I feel like maybe it's like a, a box. box. So they it's don't have like a spine. They have, ew. They have like a, sp- I don't a frame see spine. These. I don't want. I'm gonna have nightmares. <laughs> I'm gonna have nightmares really, of these really interesting animals that. with tr- elephant trunks and motorcycle wheels and claws and oil. <laughs> I'm gonna throw up. I can't. I really can't wait to see how they do these. In like show. we need to have like we need to like draw what we imagine these as because I can't draw anything. I draw a big question mark. I don't know. I don't know what was going through your mind. Pullman, but I, I, it's not, it's not forming an image the for me. The fact that there are no spines just like blew my mind. Obviously, like if you know that, if you listen to the podcast, you know that we're both dancers. Like we think about our backs and our spines all the time. And so like we know anatomy and physiology as well because we're dancers. So like the idea that like these things exist without spines, but they're like large enough to carry a human on their back. Like I don't understand. It's a beetle. <laughs> But beetles at least have exoskeletons. Like the well, reason they didn't bugs say they don't have skeletons. They just don't have the spine structure of that singular line going down. So, like you were saying, if it's like a a box, like it's, it's on box. the sides. They've got like four spines. You can't see this because this is a podcast. But like their diamond shape is just four. Like they've got like four jumbo feet. I don't want to talk about it. I'm like I like it makes me nauseous. I don't know why. Like to imagine like these weird things because I can't imagine it at all. <laughs> I'm going to have to draw one for you. Um, no. No, thank you. I'll pass. But we <laughs> now can jump to... We have a bunch of important conversations between Lyra, Will, Mary, and Serafina. And essentially, Mary tells the kids about her first kiss and marzipan and sleeping with this professor she met at a conference. And I saw this coming because when basically right before this, Mary, they Mary, they like find the hole or whatever where the dead people are walking out and like, oh, we're dissolving finally into the world. And this old like woman ghost comes up to her. And she's like, tell tell them stories. Like, and again, I was like, what? What are we reading? And I was like, this has to be a hint for something. And then Mary's like, tell them stories. And she's like repeating this mantra. And we're like, what? Because at this point, also because I was definitely getting a little impatient at the end of this book. I was like, once, once Will and Lyra got to Mary, I was like, okay, one's attempting happening. Like, let's go. Let's move it along. And so obviously... Mary figures out that the tell them stories, she is supposed to tell a story, obviously, this is going to tempt Lyra, which she does, because obviously, like I just said, she tells about her first kiss, and this, you know, serves as that tempting, because then Lyra is basically awakened to, oh, this is love, and this is what I'm feeling towards Will, like, this is something, like, now I can identify what it is, and so, of course, then literally in the next scene, when they're alone together, they kiss and, you know, she loses her innocence and that 
makes the dust, you know, like, oh, now we can go to the right, like, way. But. <laughs> yeah, it's again, it's like a very, very rudimentary temptation. <laughs> Yeah, I was definitely thinking it was going to be a little bit more complicated, but that's fine. And just some moments in those, like, the first batch of conversation that I wanted to mention was that Mary says this line that I really, really liked. She says that good and evil are names for what people do and not what they are. People are too complicated to have simple labels, which I just completely agree with that statement because... I think some people just have a really black and white view of like you're either a good person or you're a bad person and just the reality is like good people or people who you think are good can still make mistakes and do bad things and same thing with people who you might think are bad like good and bad is more about your choices and I it's kind of too simplistic I think to define somebody as good or bad except for Mrs. Coulter she's bad um <laughs> but and then I also wanted to mention <laughs> that um, Balthamos, the angel who just disappeared, because I I remember I remember a bit thinking like, well, he's just gone. They just he just was never mentioned again. But he comes back at the perfect time to drown Father Gomez. He just basically appears because right before Lyra and Will are going to kiss, like they show Father Gomez is like following them. And it's like this, oh no, like what's going to happen? Is he going to get to them? And then of course, conveniently, this angel who hasn't been in the book at he all left. just shows up and... When did he leave? I'm trying to think of when Balthamos left. No, he left when they were... He left when they kidnapped Lyra back from Mrs. Coulter during that battle. So they went to the world of the dead and had to find their demons. Yeah, he just fa- he just well, he faded got away and he ran away. But yes, it's like where have you been this whole time? <laughs> exactly. Just and also, how did he know where they were? I guess they're angels and they have infinite powers. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so he shows up at the perfect moment and he drowns Father Gomez which was, again, a great moment. You know, we were just, I was like, ooh, yeah, drown him, kill him. <laughs> and then... <laughs> we didn't, um, throwback paperback does not condone violence. <laughs> I feel like that needs to be said after some of the things that Asia <laughs> has said on this episode. <laughs> Don't, but like, ooh, that's the... I, no, again, he like deserves I said, it. We get, a very also, dis, we get a very disappointing ending, so, you know, I've got to savor the moments that we're actually... Ending going. is not disappointing, but also... It's also, like, a funny scene because Father Gomez, he, like, can feel the wings. And he's like, oh, you might be an angel. We're on the same side. And Balthamos is like, dude, we're not on the same side. <laughs> he's like, but I'm I'm very religious. And Balthamos is like, not here for it, dude. <laughs> but anyway, he kills Father Gomez. And then Balthamos can finally, you know, like, I guess how like, die. He dies and, like, can rest and go back to be with uh... Baruch. Baruch. So yeah, that's good for them. And then, yeah, like we said, Lyron will kiss. And it's described very, like, perfectly awkwardly. Like, it's a very interesting It's two 12-year-olds scene. having a kiss. They're like, it's like kind of described as like, they just like put their faces but on also, each other. also, I'm... <laughs> It was also, like, kind of, I'm going to, I did not, I wasn't expecting it to escalate that quickly, because it went from zero to 100, like, because Lyra, Lyra, like, holds out the fruit, oh, because 
in Mary's story, she says how, like, she fed the marzipan, I think, to the guy. She fed it so, to her. So, you know, Lyra's like, oh, I'm... Oh. So, Ly- doesn't Lyra feed it to Yeah, Will, because though? Lyra's a strong, independent woman, and she takes charge in their relationship. So, she picks up the bear or whatever, and she's, like, here, and then all of a sudden, they, like, smush faces. <laughs> and I was like, what just happened? Well, again, we're going to escalate their relationship in a second even further. But, yeah, so, like, their kiss is super awkward. <laughs> And then their <laughs> dust is flowing in the correct direction because apparently Lyra has that power. Seraphina shows up and she basically explains that their demons are now like witches' demons. And that's how actually witches' demons, like they have to cross through this world, this portion of dead land. And that's what makes their demons able to separate. She also names Will's demon Kiryava. So that's fun. And then she- Wait, wait. <laughs> I knew you would stop me. I knew she would stop me. Like, what? Kiryava. <laughs> Wait, where are you getting the extra I in there? Kiryava? No, Kiryava. No I... Okay. Just well, imagine just that J is a Y. Because this is a name. This is a name. I read this in my brain. Do you want to know how I said it? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Kerjava, and I was like, "What kind of name is Kerjava?" <laughs> I mean, that is how it's written in English. But like, you see that name, you're like, "Well, that definitely can't be an English name." For the for listeners who don't well, read, I saw it and I was K-I-R-J- like, "Kerjava, where did she come up with that name from?" <laughs> it's Kerjava. <laughs> And this is why I don't pronounce names <laughs> <laughs> ever. Kiryava. Okay. Oh, I should have put um John Perry's demon's name. And I'm going to go grab the spelling so I can make you say it out loud. But so Serafina and Mary also have a quite savage conversation where they basically like they say churches close people's minds. And I think Mary explicitly says, she says, that the Christian religion is a convincing and strong mistake. So no ambiguity there. We're really getting to that church criticism. Oh, yeah. She says that basically the church has always tried to keep people's minds closed instead of open. And in the specifically in the struggle between wisdom and stupidity, they want to keep their like Christians stupid. They want them to not know everything, which is a very... We know how you feel about the church, Pullman. Very, very clear. Yeah, we got an answer. But, okay. and then... But before we go on, I pulled up the spelling I'm not of saying this. John Perry's demon. I'm not saying this. Again, this is bullying. <laughs> this We have it on audio right now. This is bullying. I don't know what that says. I didn't make you say Asa Hetra. That's because I was... That's not a word. I wasn't saying that. <laughs> I don't. Okay, I do not speak other languages. I only say. speak English. This is this English. isn't another language. I mean, if it is, it's a language. I don't know. You say it it's first. It's S A Y A N K O with an umlaut T O with an umlaut R. You know those. Do you want O's, me to say how it's pronounced? Those O's with the two dots. All I see is like a little person with their mouth in an <laughs> O going. Oh, that's what I see. <laughs> it's an O with an umlaut. Okay, do you want me to say how it's pronounced correctly? Sure. You go first. No. Ladies first. Oh, fine. It's Sayan Couture. 
Okay, that's what I would have said. Yeah, I think you would have gotten that one. Or scion coder, co- like motor. <laughs> <laughs> Those are Who clearly not O's. What is this name? This is Will's dad's demon, the one that just appears when he shows up in John a, in Perry? Lyra's world. Did they? When John did they Perry. say that his? When did they say the name of his demon? Like five times in the subtle knife. Well, remember again, he's it like, was. I came into this world, and all of a sudden, Sayan Couture was here, and she was so beautiful, and part of my nature was female. And we're like, but where did she come from? Well, anyway, back anyway. to demons. Lyra's demon settles, and it settles as a pine martin, which I don't know what that is, but all Will says is it's like a ferret. And I was like, a ferret? When was Pan ever a ferret? I was like, that again, yet another part of the disappointing ending, you know. And Wills is a cat, obviously, but I thought that they were both going to be cats, which I thought would have been adorable, but no, wrong decision. Okay. Um, so... Anything besides a... No. A ferret? The, it's not a ferret. Pa- Pan has been a ferret a lot, and Pan has also been an ermine a real lot, like an ermine a lot. What so is an ermine? Mart- it's kind of like a ferret, but like it like is a little faster and like. See, sleeker. it's also hard because all the names of the animals, which you know, maybe I should just you know whip out Google, but you know I'm too maybe. lazy for that. So I don't know what she's talking about. She says this, so, he's uh, this, and I'm like, I don't know what that is. Well, that would I help. I only you imagine what they him are. whenever they whenever <laughs> she says it's something I don't know. I just think it's the moth. <laughs> What? Yes, I don't know why. But I was like, well, he must be like a moth or something. <laughs> He's only a moth in the one scene. I think for some reason, Ermin, because he is that a lot, I think I thought that meant like moth. No, it's a That's fair. why I think in one of the episodes I said, does he end up as a moth? He's and also, haven't you heard of an ermine fur coat? Like, no. ermine fur is very soft. So, no. okay, so the thing is, the Pine Martin, it makes sense plot-wise because he's been a lot of, like, small rodents before. Oh but, like, God. there's no way... This is what he was. <laughs> Just Everyone Google who's it, guys. listening, please look up what this is. It looks Which ridiculous. Which one did you look up? <laughs> Which one did you look up? An ermine. It looks so scary. It's got, it's like a, I guess it is like a ferret, but it's white. The ones I'm seeing are white. Okay, look up a pine martin. <laughs> <laughs> a pine martin. It looks the same. So the thing is. Okay, this is like, the ugliest animal ever. <laughs> So sorry. I thought Pan was but a I'm moth. saying all those times. Okay, guys, I'm trying to give Asia some credit. I'm being I'm gonna tell you why. I didn't Google it because I thought it was a bug and I don't like bugs. So there's no <laughs> way I was putting that in my Google search history. So <laughs> that's why okay. I didn't look it up. I still want to give Asia credit because there's no way when I read the series, I was aware of what an ermine is and what a ferret is so i had a like a frame so when they were like a pine martin is basically a ferret i was like oh that makes sense like that's not out of character for pan 
Except that, like, he's never been a Pine Martin or any sort of Martin throughout the whole series. So I'm like, how were you supposed to guess that? Like, there's been no indication. Like, Will obviously has to be a cat because he's associated with cats all the freaking time. Like, all the time. And so, but, like, it doesn't make sense to, like, pick an animal that Pan has literally never been before, if you ask me. Well, I didn't know what it was, so it all went over my head anyway. Okay, well, let's finish with their demons, and I want to talk about ours. So, <laughs> you talked about escalations. We also get that moment where Lyra touches Kiriyawa's fur, and Will touches Pan's, and it's, like, kind of like a very cringy sex metaphor. Where yeah, that's like, why we both I just was like, speed meant. through, I'm just speeding through till the end at this point. And I was like, they are 12 years old. I know it's not saying, like, they had sex, but I'm like... We lost, they lost their innocence and like we went right to like sex metaphor. I was like, that's a lot for the 12 year olds to be, you know, just again, a choice that I didn't think was necessary because it didn't like, because we know that like there's like an intimacy in touching and like a violation or like an invasion of privacy by touching another person's demon. Fine. But the way it's written is like very sexual. It's like. They both knew what it meant to put their hands in each other's fur and like Stop. hold on. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Stop talking. <laughs> so, anyway, we're skipping over the sex metaphor. Let's go back to when we recorded our first episode of His Dark Materials. We said that my demon would be a snow leopard or a large cat. Do we still stand by that? Yes, because it's cold-hearted, just like you. <laughs> Rip. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, I didn't think my opinion of mine would change because you, like, I've read the whole series a couple times, so I, and I know, but I've thought about it for years. I do think that, like, uh, any, definitely a feline of some sort, and I do think winter-themed and snow tigers just don't look real to me, so it's got to be a snow leopard. Well, I do think mine would def- mine would be, I've decided, a little hedgehog, and his name would be I was going to say a butterfly, but okay. What? I was a thinking about butterfly? this. A so butterfly? No. I'm out I of town, no and I was on the train no as I was leaving, and I was like, I really want to say butterfly, but I think Asia doesn't want it to be a bug. Yeah, absolutely not. I would kill my own demon. Anyway... <laughs> A hedgehog, because then I could, I want, like, I'd have a hedgehog, I could just hold it in my little hand. Also, hedgehogs, as long as you know how to hold them, can be kind of cute and cuddly. Oh, yeah, they're adorable, but then they also spike at you when they don't want to be touched. Yeah, a hedgehog, not a porcupine. Porcupines look crazy, and they're way scarier. No, we never said porcupine, you said armadillo. Which I still think is is super cute, because armadillos are so cute. mm, Armadillos are, like... The Walmart. They kind of look weird though. Hedgehogs. Like when you see an armadillo in real life, you're like, "That's not a real animal." Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, well, we stick with our original predictions: snow leopard and hedgehog. Yeah. Okay, I think that wraps up our demons. So that brings us to the ending, the big, big ending. So they have the final conversation with Zafania, and basically, she's like, Zephania. "So, guys." Yeah. Also, like, pretty close to Zephaniah. Naya, that's how, that's how so I was reading like, it. So they're like, the knife is 300 years old. What was Zephaniah that's how from? I was reading it. 
I think Zephaniah is a biblical angel, but let me look it up again. I feel like I, but I was, I was reading it as that because I knew that name from something else, but. Let me, I'm just going to double check it in the meantime, because I definitely should have known this. I should have done my pre-check on what Zephaniah is, but I know that Pullman says Zephania, which is, you know, quite something. And it's generally used for, let me see. I feel like. I'm just doing a little bit of, it's Hebrew, it's Jewish. So I think it is, I think it's Old Testament, but I don't know if there's an actual name. I thought it was like a character or something, but maybe I just knew it from something else. Let me see. So basically they have this conversation with Zephaniah slash Zephaniah. I'm reading, I read it as Zephaniah because it's an A, A, not an E. Zephaniah is normally with an E. Wait, wait, whoa. But basically. In what's, in Flamel, what was the lady's name? Wasn't her name Zephaniah? Yes. That's how I know it. I was going to say, I thought it was in one of the books we read. Um, the Witch of Endor, her name was Zephaniah. Also, it is in the Hebrew Bible. It's the name of several people in the Hebrew Bible. So, but we are both right. But I figured I remembered it something. I thought I remembered it from the show. Anyway, moving on. Well, what is Zephaniah? So, Zephaniah, Azrael's angel, basically is like the knife is 300 years old. Death started leaking out 300 years ago. So, basically, the windows and going into the abyss specifically, like, dust has been leaking out of the universe. And that's what's, like, ending things and making everyone, like, unhappy, I guess. So, they have to seal up all the windows so that dust stops leaking. Except they can leave one window open. But that's got to be the window from the world of the dead so that the dead can release. So all the other windows have to close. Also, you can't keep using the knife because every time the knife gets used, it makes specters. So they have to close all the windows, break the knife, live in their own worlds, and create the Republic of Heaven in their own individual worlds. And if you thought that was tough enough, <laughs> Lyra's like, we have to find a way out. She pulls out the alethiometer, finds out she can't read it anymore. <laughs> so they have to live in their world, own worlds forever alone. And that was the ending. So, Asia, how do you feel about this? Well, I already said the ending was just way too sad for me. And I also have a question about the ending, which I'll get to in a second. But for me, just the reason why it was just so disappointing for me and how I was saying is it's not even about, like, they need to be in love and, like, get married and stay together forever. Because, like we said, they're only, like, 12 years old. This is a first love it might not last, but the idea that they spent, they did this whole adventure together, that this kind of connection you made with somebody would likely be like a lifelong connection, whether it's romantic or just as friends, but this idea of that they can't ever see each other again, like, but they'll still exist, go on with their lives, but they'll never get to see each other again, never get to speak to each other again, like, is just a concept like I don't like at all. And maybe that's too because we grow up in a, we live in a world now where like it's, even if you meet somebody and they move to the other side of the world, you can stay in contact with them. You can know what's going on in their life. Even if you don't actually talk to them, you could just look at their social media. Like it's, we live in such a connected world. Like I can't imagine living like that. 
where you get so disconnected from somebody you became so close with. So I think that's why for me it was just so ultimately disappointing. But you can respond to that before I ask my question. I mean, so I will say that, like, it is, it's definitely sad because, like, it's not even like they can even write each other a letter. Like, once the window is sealed, it's done. Like, there's no future contact between them. So, yeah, the, the, like, them being together is not as big of a deal for me. For me, what's really sad is the Lyra losing the ability to read the alethiometer because she's now like because she was kind of doing it out of innocence because it kind of feels not like gaslighting by like the universe, but more like that. She's just kind of like been left like alone because like granted her parents weren't great, but they're gone. And as the master Jordan college said, they didn't really think about her or leave her any like money. And the person that she would want to talk to, the two people she want to talk to the most about this are Mary and Will. She can never talk to them ever again. And she, and like the thing that like guided her through this, that made her feel like she was like useful besides being like good at lying was reading the alethiometer. And now she's going to have to like start that over from scratch. Like that just feels like one blow too many for me personally. I do think that like the idea that they, have to, like, create heaven on earth wherever they are is, like, it's, like, a nice button to Pullman's, like, anti-Christian screed throughout the book, basically, because it's, like, heaven isn't a place that you just, like, end up with. Like, it's something that you work towards every single day. Like, making the world a better place, a place that's worth living in, and, like, a place worth enjoying is something that every single person has to do every single day, like, I think that's actually a really beautiful sentiment, like that they are, that they, what they need to do is they need to work to make a better world in their own world rather than like escaping their own problems. And so it wouldn't bother me as much, but the fact that Lyra also, I mean, I guess it's kind of paralleled by Will having to like lose the knife, like he loses his tool. So, or he like, he has to give up his tool, but I just am like, at least that Lyra keep the alethiometer. But maybe then she could, like, check in on Will then. I don't know. Maybe that would be too much. Whereas for me, like, well, her losing the alethiometer to me was the only thing that actually made sense because she loses the ability to read it because, like you said, she lost her innocence. So it makes sense why that's a perfectly no, it makes perfect reasonable sense. explanation to why she can't read anymore. Whereas for me, like, the low blow would be that, like you just said, like, the idea of the gaslighting of they can't even talk about it, which at least for Lyra, like, she lives in a world where they know the existence of other worlds. But, like, Will and Mare are going back to essentially like our, our world, world where we don't believe in magic or anything. So it's, I mean, it just kind of reminds me of the idea with like how we just did with twilight and like Edward leaving behind Bella. And it's like this idea of you can't talk about all these experiences you've had, which at least Mary and will have each other, but like Mary and will didn't have the same experience. And so for me, that's why it was just, it's just disappointing because like, I don't know, like, especially more for, like, Will, who's going back to more, like, what we think of as, like, a normal world, where Lyra's still going where there's other magical things, and she could talk about this with anybody because they kind of, like, know, I mean, maybe not everybody, but some people know the, she could talk to some people about the existence of other worlds. Yeah, Dame Hannah and the Master of Jordan and Serafina and Yorick, like, it's not going to be the same, but, like, she's in a world where it's, like... It's accepted, like... Some people will be... Or at least there's, like, someone who will listen to her. 
Whereas they will put you in a mental institution if you try to talk about that here. So I don't know. I don't like that because also like the follow up of like what is going to happen to like Will and Mary? Like how are they going to live after this experience? Also like Will and Lyra's dynamic is so good together. It's just sad. That part is sad that we don't get to get them together. I guess for me, like, I guess I'm also just disappointed in the ending because to me, it's an ending that, like, I have questions of, like, mainly, like, on, because, like, for Lyra, Lyra, you know, they kind of talk about her, like, she's studying the books. She's going to study the books to try to learn how to read the alethiometer again. And, like, Lyra's world is more a part of that fantastical world that's been established in this story, whereas Will is essentially from the normal world. So for me, I'm just like, so he just, you know, goes back to school, finds his mom, Mary's going to find a job and like take care of him and his unwell mother until he's 18 and then he can get a job of his own and like you know what I mean? Where it's like, I have questions of like, how does the story, like, I don't see the story like continuing, like, plausibly. Like, I don't know, like, how does Will survive? But my question, though, about the ending, what we were talking about earlier about how you said with, I, how did you say her name? The angel? Zephania. Zephania, how she said how like the knife is 300, the dust started leaking 300, like all these things are coming from this one point or whatever when these like when the knife was created and blah 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 so do you think that like triggered lyra needing to be born because ultimately what reversed this is lyra so like is that what like you know what i mean because how i think how in the last episode or whichever episode i was talking about like oh like lyra being this chosen one like is this gonna happen on a like it's going to happen every so many years that this is it. Things are going to have to be reset or is this a one-time thing? Like, I don't know. I think it's a one-time thing. It, I think it's a one-time thing because of the creation of the knife, like creating the knife was a one-time thing. And so basically the universe like gave them the option to like reset basically. Like there was one chance to reset because the knife was created. So it's not like every couple hundred years, a couple thousand years they have to like start over i think it's that because of the knife because the consciousness and dust wouldn't have been something of like a, a topic of study or a topic of research or a topic of knowledge or a topic of sin for the church if the knife had not been created and started causing more travel between worlds and causing specters and causing the leakage of the dust so that's what kind of what I believe triggered like creation of, of Lyra, of a, of a chosen one, of an Eve figure. But I don't think that it's like on a clock or anything like that. And like, when you think of it, like, why, why, why was the solution that this little girl needed to be tempted? Maybe because Pullman is actually like, let's go reread the Bible and reread Genesis. I don't know. It, I think it, I think it's that the fact that the church misunderstood dust as sin and they figured sin in like a bat like sin in like a biblical sense of like being sexually active outside of wedlock outside of the purpose of like creating the miracle of life with the Lord 
like they like being like romantically in awakened just for the sake of that is like uh, I'm like stepping a little into theology so if I get something wrong like please don't cancel me on Twitter but I think that it's like that like a romantic slash pre-physical awakening is like she's not married but so then by the dust being fixed by that they're saying that the sin is good or maybe that they're misunderstanding, like they labeled, the church labeled dust as sin, but like maybe they mislabeled dust. Dust is a good thing and like dust is consciousness, dust is like human experience and that includes living in sin. Okay. Yeah. And so like I think that Lyra like being tempted like goes back to the Bible because the church itself is the one that misunderstood dust from the very beginning. Okay. I don't know. Does that sort of answer the question? This is just my guess. Yeah, sort of. It's just like... This series leaves a lot of left to keep going or to not know the answer to. Yeah, which is just so, I feel like, unusual for like a young adult book. But again, I don't really think these are young adult books. (laughs) In that sense. I think these go a lot deeper than that. I think they're definitely, like, better suited towards a 15 to 17 age range rather than a 12-year-old, to be perfectly honest. Oh, yeah. But I think that we should just leave it there because I think that we're going to get further and further away from our source material. Yeah. Unless there's anything else, any other questions you have before we finish? I don't think so, but I, wow, I can't believe we already are done with another series. Like, wow. And four down. Yeah. Next week we're starting our fifth series, which is going to be a reset series, the hunger games. And we're going to be reading chapters 1 through 14 for next week. So if you're going to read along with us, read up to there. I've already started reading and it's so good. I forgot how. No, I didn't forget. But like I haven't read The Hunger Games in a couple years. So, oh, it's so good. Have you only read the series once? I've read the series once and I've seen all the movies once each only. So, I mean. I saw them and they came out in theaters. Yeah, so. Spoiler alert, Charles is going to be doing the summaries for The Hunger Games because he is essentially, he's obviously not the newbie because he's read them before, but I think I have a more closer relationship with them because, I mean, I also just reread only the first book recently after I read the new prequel, which we're also going to be covering. And I've seen the movies multiple times, so. Yeah, so... I mean, I do have a really pretty good memory not to brag too, too much. I feel like I'm going to remember more than I think. But I w- like it's definitely been longer since I directly engaged with the material. And you've just been doing the summaries for a while. So it's nice to give you a little bit of a break because that is always like a long paragraph of just like plot rehashing, especially in horror games. Give me so much action. Yeah. So I'm happy to cover the summaries. And then after that, we'll read a series that I have read. So you'll be back on summary duty anyway. But yes, I read up to 1 through 14 if you're reading along with us. And again, if you have any theories, predictions, questions, comments, 
about any of the series we've read or the Hunger Games, you can always stay in touch with us regarding anything on the Nerd Party website. You just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact, select throwback paperback, and you can send us an email there or get in touch with the network in general at large on Twitter at your nerd party or on Instagram at the nerd party or on facebook.com slash the nerd party. And to find me, I'm not active as at CEShieland on Twitter and very active as Seashells on Instagram. And I'm at AsiaBonia on Twitter, also pretty inactive, and at Asia.Bonia on Instagram, but active there. And just if you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcast and share with your friends. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Yep, hit that subscribe. Have a good one. We will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.